hard to believe that it's been already 10 years since the release of one of Christopher Nolan's most critically acclaimed films, The Dark Knight. Now, beyond the obvious brilliance of Heath Ledger's performance and the popcorn appeal of a big-budget superhero movie featuring one of the most popular characters in American comic mythology, the real genius of the film was its ability to tell a story that somehow encapsulated some of the great philosophical challenges of our modern era. Not only did it tell a story which embodied some of humanity's deepest existential struggles, but I believe it actually provided a positive map of meeting to remedy some of those deep struggles. You know, it's one thing to ask tough questions, and it's another thing to be able to give good answers to those questions and to, to somehow actually do it within a compelling story is, is what makes Christopher Nolan one of the great filmmakers. Before we dive into The Dark Knight, it's important to understand what sorts of philosophical forces are at play already that had been established and communicated in the first movie in Nolan's Batman trilogy, movie entitled Batman Begins. Similar to the great existentialist writer and philosopher Albert Camus, in his fictional city of Oran in the book The Plague, Gotham City is a symbol of the hopeless, closed universe of the naturalist, materialist, or, or even some may call a physicalist worldview that began to become the default understanding of the universe in the Western world by the late 19th and 20th century. Though the Enlightenment and the Scientific Revolution were birthed out of a theistic womb by people like Sir Isaac Newton, who thought a universe of cause and effect was ultimately brought about by the intention of an ultimate cause in God, it did not take long until the notion of God as first cause or as, you know, popular among 18th century deists called the prime mover became seen as no longer necessary to explain the material processes of the universe. The unforeseen consequences of the death of God in Western thought, as Nietzsche put it, was that this uncreated closed universe had no discernible moral arc, no intentionality, no purpose. Its vastness became a vast loneliness. To make matters worse, our experience of the world we live in is filled with suffering, violence, and death. And while even these once had some sort of explanation for their very existence within traditional religious meaning-making systems, systems of thought that also provide a moral call to combat these forces seen as evil, naturalism had no cogent framework for even establishing anything as good or evil. Gotham City is a parable for this kind of universe, one that is in existentialist terms absurd. As a child, Bruce Wayne comes face to face with the absurdity of the closed universe when his parents are brutally murdered in a random act of violence that happens right in front of him. This is at least one way that Nolan's Batverse is probably better than Tim Burton's 1989 Batman, where Bruce Wayne's parents' murder is committed by a pre-skin-bleached Joker, which that plot point infuses the murder with some sort of clear meta-purpose. No, 
In the Nolan verse, Batman's parents are murdered by, to steal a line from the animated Batman universe, just some punk with a gun. So, Batman Begins is all about Bruce Wayne facing the absurdity of Gotham and the path that he must choose as he comes face to face with despair. Does he resign himself to nihilism or does he choose, even in the face of the absurd, to rebel against, choose meaning, and become an existential hero? His choice to steal his resolve and to give his entire life for the sake of the good in a city where good doesn't even seem to exist makes him a symbol of hope in the city. Using terminology from Christian theology, we could say that this hope has even become a threat to the principalities and powers of Gotham. While in Batman Begins, Batman's first test is overcoming fear while he lives as what the 19th century philosopher Soren Kierkegaard called a, a knight of faith, the, the challenge he and in fact the whole viewing audience faces in the dark night is far greater. The guy that hired Hughes, they'll just do the same to you. Oh, criminals in this town used to believe in things. Honor, respect. Look at you. What do you believe in, huh? What do you believe in? I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. Heath Ledger's Joker is the archetypal portrayal of Friedrich Nietzsche's critique of morality and represents not some sort of prankster clown or gangster crime lord as some other iterations of the Joker did in the past, but... He represents the full force of nihilistic despair, which ultimately threatens the very fabric of society. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that the Joker represents Nietzsche himself. Uh, I don't want to make Nietzsche into some sort of boogeyman here. But I'm saying specifically that the Joker embodies a sort of anti-ethic to traditional notions of good and evil found in Nietzsche's writings on ethics. In fact, the very first line we hear as the Joker reveals himself to the audience in the Dark Knight, which happens when the banker asks him this kind of somewhat odd question, given the circumstances that he's in. What do you believe in? Look at you. What do you believe in, huh? What do you believe in? The Joker's response is a play on Nietzsche, who said, What doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. Whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you... Stranger. To better understand the Joker, we need to unpack a bit of Nietzsche's philosophy on morality. First, Nietzsche is far more a critic of traditional Western notions of morality than he is someone who is concerned with laying out a clearly positive alternative. Per perhaps another comic book movie character who may embody Nietzsche's alternative vision, his Ubermensch, his Superman, his Uber, Uberman, would be Thanos from Avengers Infinity War, which we won't explore in this episode. So, what were Nietzsche's beefs with traditional Western morality? Well, first, he believed that traditional Western morality was built upon the flawed premise that humans actually have free will. For Nietzsche, 
free will is a sort of biological illusion. Now, to be fair, Nietzsche is simply affirming the logical implications of naturalism, where every action in the universe is simply caused by a previous force, and that all of these reactions can be simply traced back to an initial cause in the Big Bang. What we think is choice is simply a reaction that is outside of any real control. Events happen because other events have occurred, and, and because the ultimate causation which set forth the conditions for life in the universe is a random chance occurrence, a statistical anomaly, life is simply happening to you, and you have no actual power to reorder the machine of the universe. This is why the Joker consistently puts Batman, Commissioner Gordon, and Harvey Dent in these no-win situations. It's intended to reveal that choice is an illusion. Giving up on the possibility of choice is perhaps the greatest step towards succumbing completely to nihilism. While Gotham was once in what Soren Kierkegaard called inauthentic despair, that is, despair born out of ignorance to both the reality of their situation and the possibility of hope, Batman and now Harvey Dent, who Joker says is just the beginning to the mobsters in the kitchen. Look, listen. I know why you choose to have your little <clears throat> group therapy sessions in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman has shown Gotham your true colors, unfortunately. Dent, he's just the beginning. Has brought an awareness of the possibility of hope, and, and there's no going back now to a state of ignorance. So, Joker's best strategy is to try and lead Gotham to rejecting hope, and to what Kierkegaard considered a sickness worse than death. And the way to do that is to get them to believe that their very choices have no meaning, and that possibility is not truly possible. Not only did Nietzsche disdain traditional Western morality because he thought it was built upon illusions of free will, but he also critiqued morality and the systems of ethics and law in the Western world because he saw that morality was often enforced by otherwise immoral means, which rendered any notion of a universal moral system meaningless. To help you understand this, um, maybe... For example, let's, let's picture what would happen. Um, let's picture this scenario. If, if you broke into someone's house, bound them against their will, and then locked them up in a cold concrete prison in your backyard, most would say that what you did was an immoral act. But when the police find out what you've done and come and break into your house, bind you against your will, and then lock you up in a cold concrete prison, they have somehow acted justly. That's why the Joker says, you see, you see, their morals, their code, it's a bad joke. We've dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you, when the chips are down, these, uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. 
See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. Similarly, the Joker picks away at Batman's sense of ethical superiority and his entire notion of what he believes is good and evil by calling into question the practice of stopping violence by using violence and the absurdity of Batman's one rule. How, how does Batman having one rule, which is to not kill, give him ethical superiority? This principled stance is absurd when, by letting the Joker continue to live, he most certainly knows that it will cost more innocent people their lives. So, once again, Batman is faced with what Joker wants to present as the illusion of choice. Continue his principled but potentially flawed ethical stance against killing and have it and have it cost the lives of countless other people in the future, or break his one little rule. Kill the Joker, but in the process become indistinguishable from the evil that he has sworn to fight. In the interrogation scene, Batman erupts into a violent rage, a rage which is now calling into question Batman's ethical superiority. We see, we see this symbolized through the concerned police rushing from the other side of the viewing room to save this psychotic murderer from Batman's violent rage. I mean, this brings the audience into a moment of ethical reflection that in a very meta way only highlights Joker's Nietzsche-like critique of our moral systems. Does this moral code that would cause you to save a psychotic murderer from himself being murdered without what we might consider due trial really make sense? Is it universally true that we should act this way? I, how could we even know? Batman is not the only existential hero in the Dark Knight. There is a second hero who Joker has also set his sights on as a symbol of hope to extinguish. That's Harvey Dent. Throughout the first two acts, Dent believes in the capacity not only of one's free will to choose good in a world of chaos, but he also believes in the ability of individuals to actually change the systems which has led to so much of its corruption. Joker's force of despair is by no mere coincidence directed specifically at Harvey Dent's faith in these two ideas. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. The mob has plans. The cops have plans. Gordon's got plans. You know, they're schemers. Schemers trying to control their little worlds. I'm not a schemer. I try to show the schemers how pathetic their attempts to control things really are. In their own hands. I just did what I do best. I took your little plan and I turned it on itself. Look what I did to this city with a few drums of gas and a couple of bullets. Hmm? 
You know, you know what I noticed? Nobody panics when things go according to plan. Even if the plan is horrifying. If tomorrow I tell the press that like a gangbanger will get shot, or a truckload of soldiers will be blowing up, nobody panics. Because it's all part of the plan. But when I say that one little old mare will die, well then everyone loses their minds! Introduce a little anarchy. Upset the established order, and everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, and you know the thing about chaos? It's fear. The entire moral system is a failure, and Joker gets Dent to believe this. Now, Dent's final decisive moment of succumbing to nihilism is when he rejects his own capacity for free will and submits his existence to the chance of a coin flip. Let the chaos inherent to the machinery of the universe just run its course and accept that you're simply a cog within this machine. This, this idea, this belief strips Dent of his capacity for hope and his will to rebel against the absurdity of Gotham. In this state of despair, what psychologist Carl Jung called the self's shadow or the, the dark capacity for evil and malevolence within each of us subsumes all of Harvey Dent, transforming him into Two-Face. Here's where the Dark Knight attempts to offer a positive map for ethical instruction to the audience. It's apparent to the audience that Nietzsche's critique of morality expressed by the Joker should not be emulated. For whatever compelling critiques it presents, the outcomes of it in practice are far worse than the flaws in Western society, symbolized as Gotham before the arrival of Joker. It's also clear that Harvey Dent is the cautionary tale of what can happen when one is subsumed by despair and gives up on the possibility of choice, and subsequently along with it gives up on the possibility of hope. Though there certainly is moral ambiguity to Batman's methods, well worth debating and discussing, his heroism is like that of Dr. Ryu in Camus' The Plague, and presented to the audience as the ethical exemplar to follow. Maybe you never will, in a certain sense, see the promised land. Perhaps you will die giving of yourself to the hope that your choices actually do matter and that the good, in an ultimate sense, exists. But there is a sickness worse than death. What happens if you hope and your efforts to live into hope fail? That end can be no worse than the end of giving into despair, an end that looks like a Joker-dominated reality. Perhaps, like Sisyphus in Camus' Myth of Sisyphus, that rock will come back down the mountain again and again. Maybe that is ultimately outside of your control, but that cannot take away from you your hope. To the original existentialist Soren Kierkegaard, despair is not to be feared, for 
despair is, in his words, a trap door into knowing the divine. In the depths of despair, there is the possibility of coming to the end of one's finite self and taking the leap of faith into the infinite. This is the only way to transcend the absurd instead of merely thinking differently about this, the absurdity that you're in. In that kind of dying, there is the possibility of rebirth. Maybe we even see this in the final chapter in the Nolan Batman trilogy. In his utter and complete brokenness at the hands of Bane, Batman is pushed to confront his final fears of his own failure and despair. Presented with an ultimate either-or as he lies in the symbolic abyss, a broken man, Batman emerges reborn by accepting that he has been afraid to come to the end of himself. Facing the end of his finite humanity, he ascends out of that tomb reborn and equipped with a transformative hope that actually does save Gotham from its impending destruction. thank you for listening in or watching on YouTube today and encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, to subscribe to this YouTube channel where we're having deep talks, discussions about theology, philosophy, exploring meaning making in a nuanced, non-combative way um, that I hope is encouraging to you and helps you make sense of your experiences of reality, God, faith, and philosophy. If these talks are helping you in any way, the videos, the audio podcasts, I'd love to have you leave a comment, leave a rating, give us some feedback, let's engage in some discussion together. Thanks again for listening in. We'll talk again soon.